listen, we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 19. We're going to be talking about the things that we learned from the Mount Sinai experience. But before we do that, I'd like to pray also. Is that okay? Father, um, thank you so much for the opportunity to share your word. Thank you because you are faithful. You're sovereign. You're good. And you want to bless your people. And so this morning, as we expound on the scriptures, I pray that you would minister grace to the hearers and that you would impact our lives and so that we can be encouraged, inspired, changed, and challenged, and conformed into the image of your dear son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as some of you may know, I grew up in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Now, Puerto Rico has some very interesting topography. Uh, it is a mostly mountain range that runs along the entire island. We call it La Cordillera Central. And so, but at sea level around the edges of the island, the temperature in Puerto Rico ranges from around 70 degrees to 100 degrees. That's the temperature that I grew up with. That's the temperature that I like. And so uh, when I was a kid, my parents decided to go up to a mountain to visit some distant relatives. So to this day, I don't know who they are. And so we went up early in the afternoon and it was fine and I played outside and I explored as I often did, but something interesting happened, sunset. And it was very dark because there is limited lighting on the mountains and the temperature dropped to the mid to low 60s, which was a shock to my system. And because the forest is much thicker in this particular mountain, I started to hear strange noises of birds and animals that I didn't even know existed. I was cold. I couldn't see because it was dark and I was terrified. And so this was my very interesting mountain experience. Uh, in the same way, we're going to see that in today's narrative, the Israelites had some experiences by a mountain, only their experience included God, unlike mine. So today, as we look at this passage, I'd like to highlight six things that we learn about our relationship with God from this Mount Sinai story. Having said all that, let's begin our reading there in verse number one. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. They set out to Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. Now, in, in the introduction of this passage, we're given a general time frame and location for this event. And uh, some scholars believe that this happened around 45 days 
after they crossed the Red Sea. Some scholars put it as far as 90. More than likely, it was around 45 to 55 days. And so we also see that in verse 3, that Moses is on his way to see God, and God calls to Moses while he's on his way up to see him. This brings us to the first thing we learn from Mount the Sinai experience. Number one, God calls. Now, there are several ways in which God calls. There is the effectual calling unto salvation. He beckons us. He draws us to come to Jesus for eternal life. Jesus said these words in John chapter 6, verse 44. He said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on, in the last day. And he does that through the power of the gospel. What is the gospel? The fact that we were born sinners. The scriptures teach us that we were by nature children of wrath. And we understand that God is holy and perfect, and we, of our own volition, of our own will, cannot meet his righteous requirements. And therefore, God sent his son Jesus, who lived a perfect life according to the law and never sinned, and died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sin, was buried and placed in a tomb. And on the third day, he rose again bodily from the dead to give us the hope of eternal life and to prove that he was God. So that's one way in which God calls. Another way in which God calls, he calls us into the ministry. Around this same mountain, Mount Sinai, God called Moses. Moses saw a burning bush and he drew near to see what it was. And God said to him, Moses, Moses, I have heard the affliction of my people and I am sending you to deliver them out of Egypt. So God not only calls us of the salvation, he calls us into the ministry. And the third way that God calls, he calls, he speaks to us as in 1 Samuel chapter 3. We hear, we find that God is speaking to Samuel. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel thought it was Eli, the priest, speaking to him. So Samuel gets up to speak to him. Hey, is there anything I can do for you, pastor? This is the Tito Torado translation. And so this happened three times. On the third time, Eli uh, recognizes that God is speaking to him or calling out to Samuel. He says, when he speaks to you this time, lay down and say, speak for your servant is listening. So if you're, and this is the kind of call that we are talking about this morning. And if you're here this morning, I want you to know that God is calling you. God is calling out to you. He wants to speak to you. Just like he spoke to Moses as he was pursuing God. The question is, are you pursuing God? God speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through the Bible. He speaks to us through the preaching of the word of God. And God wants to speak to our hearts this morning. Perhaps you're saying to yourself, Pastor Tito, I don't hear God's calling. I don't hear him speaking to me. 
And I would ask you this question. How often do you read the Bible? Do you prepare your heart in prayer and in a worship for God to speak to you? In the same way Moses made an effort to go up to the mountain, are you making an effort to prepare your heart to speak to you? Or are there things that are blocking you from hearing God? James chapter 1 verse 21 declares these words, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls. Unconfessed or unrepented sin can sometimes be a hindrance from us hearing from God. As I said, God wants to speak to you just like we see him speaking to Moses. He calls out to him, but he not only speaks to Moses, he has something to say to the people. And let's see what he says in verse number four. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. God uses this metaphor of an eagle protecting his young as he learns how to fly. The eagle trains his young and he does to how to fly safely. And sometimes that requires that he carries him on his wings. And God is using this metaphor to say, just like the eagle cares for his young as he's teaching him how to fly, so did I care for you by bringing you out of Egypt as a nation. And, as, and so we learn that God not only calls, which brings us to number two, we learn that God cares. Sometimes things can happen in life which can make us feel like God doesn't care. And even though we know that that's not true, and even though we don't believe that, and even though we might not say that, we can still feel that way. And I want to remind you of a verse that you might already know, which is found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Casting all your anxieties or casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. And maybe you're here today feeling like God doesn't care. I want to remind you that God cares. Maybe you're feeling like an outcast. I want to say to you that God cares. And maybe you're feeling discarded. And I want to remind you that God cares. Maybe you're feeling irrelevant. I want to remind you that God cares. Maybe you're feeling taken for granted or cast aside. I want to remind you that God cares for you. But not only does God care for us, God instructs us to be intentional about caring for one another. I read an interesting passage of scripture this week. It was in Genesis chapter 29, verses 30 and 31. It's the story of, of Jacob and Rachel and Leah. And so as the story goes, you know that uh, this was the most interesting courtship that I've, that I've seen in my life. Uh, Jacob sees Leah. He walks up to her and kisses her and says, girl, where's your daddy? 
I don't think that would work in today's in today's society. But and and so uh, he he agrees to work for seven years for her. And after seven years, and I don't know how Jacob did. Uh, Laban gave him the older sister Leah, and so he wakes up in the morning, and instead of being Rachel, it's Leah. And so Jacob said, "What is it that you have done to me?" He says, "Listen, it's not our custom to first give the young one; we usually give the old one." He says, "So he agreed to work another seven years for her." And so then he marries Rachel as well. And so the Bible says this, that Jacob loved Rachel in verse 29. But verse 30 says something really interesting. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated. And if you read through the book of Genesis, through all the narratives, Jacob never said that he hated Leah. In fact, he was buried with Leah. But because he was more intentional about showing affection to Rachel, about showing attention to Rachel, the unintended effect was that Leah felt hated. And so church, my encouragement to us is that we are intentional about caring about one another. Have you ever been to a place where someone comes in the room and says, oh, Chris, it's so good to see you. And then I walk on and I say, oh, it's just Tito. <laughs> it's the unintended outcome of him getting more attention or more affection that I feel unloved or I feel unappreciated or I feel uncared for. And so we have to be intentional about caring for one another. For the Bible says this, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, that you show love for one another. And so we see that God cares for the children of Israel, that he carried them on eagles' wings. He uses this metaphor. And so in the same way, God cares for us. And as we continue the narrative in verse 5, we read the following words. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be to be my treasured possession among the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded them. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. In these verses, we see a dialogue between God and the people. And even though the dialogue is through a mediator who is Moses, uh, by the way, uh, let me take a side by here to highlight a beautiful picture of Christ. Moses is a picture of Christ who is our mediator. First Timothy chapter 2 verse 5 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and man. 
the man Jesus Christ. But I regress to our main text and the verse that we just read, Exodus, where we see a dialogue taking place, which brings us to our next point. Number three, God communicates. Moses gives God's commands to the people, and the people respond back to Moses to let God know that they will obey. You see here, there is a difference between God calling out to you and speaking to you and God and you communicating. Communication requires that there is an exchange of information and or feelings. And on Mount Sinai, we also learn that God communicates. Oh, I have to ask you at this point, are you communicating with God? Are you praying to him regularly? communicating to him? And do you hear him speaking to you through his word as you read it? Do you hear his voice speaking to your heart? Jesus said these words in John chapter 10, verse 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. God wants to communicate with you just as he did with the Israelites on Mount Sinai. Let's see what else we can learn from this beautiful narrative. Let's pick up our reading there in verse number nine. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak to you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on, the, on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall set limits for the people around, saying, Take care not to go into the mountain or to touch the edge of it, Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch it, but he touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or men. He shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. And the idea here is that they focus on preparing their hearts for the Lord. Here we see in these verses that God informs uh, the people that he's going to come down and he gives them some parameters. He warns them of the consequences of disobeying his word. This brings us to our fourth point. God cautions. The Bible is filled with cautions and warnings. God, we are given consequences for our disobedience as well as we are informed of the blessings that flow from our obedience. And we can see this beautiful truth illustrated in Isaiah chapter 1 verses 19 and 20 where it says, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat 
of the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. It is important for us to know that when God, that God's cautions are not to restrict us, but to protect us and to bless us as we see that he, he did here with the people of Israel. As the story progresses, we read these words in verse number 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke but the, because the Lord had descended, descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. Can you imagine that? You speak into God and then thunder cracking. <laughs> but I don't want to talk to you again. That's the way you're going to respond. Then the Lord came down. That's just me. That's Tito. And the, the, the Lord came down on Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain. And the Lord called to Moses from the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. What an awesome scene these verses describe for us. We are given details of what it looked like when God came down on the mountain. We are given details of what the people saw. The mountain was wrapped in smoke, a thick cloud and fire. We are given details of what it sounded like, thunder and the trumpet blast that grew louder and louder. And we are even given information about how the people felt. It said they trembled. They must have experienced the fear of the Lord. And this brings us to point number five, God comes. This reminds me of a great promise that is found in John chapter 14, verse 21, where Jesus said these words, whoever has my commands and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. What a great thing that God promises those who love and obey him that he will manifest himself, show himself, display himself to them. In other words, he will come. Now, it may not be quite as dramatic as Mount Sinai, but he is faithful to his word and he is faithful to come. Jeremiah 33.3 says these words, call upon me. And I will answer and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. And it doesn't matter what you are going through today. He will come. If you're feeling lonely, he will come. 
If you're feeling depressed, he will come. If you're feeling discouraged, he will come. If you're having problems in the marriage, he will come. If you're having financial issues, he will come. He, if your children are out of control, he will come. He will come in the morning. He will come in the evening. He will come when you least expect it, but he will come. Psalm 46 verse 1 says that he is a very present help in the time of trouble so praise God for his faithfulness to come he may not come when you want him he may not come how you want him but he always comes this is why Psalm 145 18 says the Lord is near to all who call on him to all who call on him in truth Oh, my brothers and sisters, we must call on him with the confidence that he will come. We must call on him in truth and without hypocrisy and according to his word, because God is faithful to come as we see him coming down on Mount Sinai. Let's see what else we can learn from this wonderful narrative. Let's pick up the reading at verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up bringing Aaron with you. Do not let the priest and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So he went down to the people and told him. It is interesting that in these verses, we see that Moses goes to the mount, goes up to the mountain to speak to God, and then God sends him back down to speak to the people, to remind them not to break through, to which Moses retorts, but God, we already set boundaries, we already set limits, to which God responds, no, Moses, they are going to try to look at me and break through, and they're going to die. This brings us to our sixth and final point. God confirms. If I can have the worship team come up as we close this message. Let me digress by way of observation. Moses had just gone up the mountain and God tells them to go down. And I don't know if you do this, but sometimes I wonder what our Bible heroes were thinking. And I was just wondering if Moses got up there and said to himself, great, I got up to the top of the mountain. Now I have to go down again. Or if he said to himself, wonderful, this is going to be great physical conditioning today. And all the rock climbers and the hikers said, yes. And all of, all of the sedentary people said, uh, God, can't you just shout from the top of the mountain and tell Aaron to tell the people to come up here? And it just, it, that was just me having an inquisitive mind, a little bit of speculation there. Now, but back to the main idea of the verse we just read. 
We see here that God is faithful to confirm his word to us. He never leaves us wondering what he teaches. He confirms his word. We have clarity of what the Bible actually teaches. In theology, we call this the clarity of Scripture. Pastor Chuck Smith, who was the founder of the Calvary Chapel uh, movement, used to say, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. We have verses in the Bible like, once it was said, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Jesus often placed a double affirmation on his statements. He would say, truly, truly, or if you're reading a different translation, verily, verily. You have phrases in the Bible that are repeated like three times, like the phrase, the just shall live by faith. You find it in Habakkuk 2, Romans 1, and Hebrews 10, because God is faithful to confirm his word. And perhaps you are here today asking God for direction. Perhaps you're here today asking God for guidance in a specific area of your life. I want to remind you that God is faithful to confirm his word. He doesn't mind confirming his word in the same way he confirmed his word to the children of Israel. Now, as we bring this message to a close, let me leave you with the promise of Lamentations chapter 3, verse 25, which says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. And perhaps you're here today and God is stirring your heart and you know you need to repent of your sins and receive Christ. Our prayer team is going to be here to pray with you. And perhaps you've been feeling discouraged or disappointed or going through some things and you need someone to agree with you in prayer. We, we want to minister to you today. And maybe you're just trusting God to do something in your life and you need someone to agree with you. The Bible says that if two of us would agree of anything down here on earth, it will be done by our Father in heaven. I want to urge you not to leave this place feeling burdened or feeling unsatisfied. Let us minister to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to share your word. I just ask, Lord, as we enter into this time of worship, into this time of prayer, that you, in the same way you descended on Mount Sinai, that you would come to us and speak to our situation, speak to us personally, whatever the need is, and be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.